Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Marta in Kales River, alongside the chaplains of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters and I'm getting fitter, I think, because I did not have to take a breath from that. And I am your host <laughs> on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis. I'm getting fitter because I'm preparing my wife for her first 10 kilometer um, race. And now I'm living vicariously, reliving all the revelations that you find when you start your running journey. Because um, running is, is a very destructive sport, but it is it is absolutely beautiful once you, you start going for it. And this journey, I'm joined, as always, by the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman, the rector of our parish. How are you doing today, sir? You're a bit under the weather. I am. Uh, since Thursday night, I've been feeling under the weather. So even though I've had my vaccines and I've had my um, flu vaccine. Somehow I got the chills in my body and um, the ache of the of the body. So for the first time in a probably before COVID, I've had to take a medi lemon and uh, just to sweat out some of the stuff, and it did help me a whole lot. Um, with my uh, leukemia condition, I must be careful of. Um, of uh, what you call that thing of the temperature, my temperature yeah. going higher than yeah. it should, uh, because now the white and red has to fight it out. Um, so yeah, that is my my what's the name. But I did rest good last night, and I was amazed. I was awake this morning so early because I had slept last night quite well. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm always look forward to having this um, time with you and with those who listen to us. So hi to you all. And I trust that the family is doing all right, though, Lindsay. My wife is also down as well. Of course. Oh, share the same air. Yeah. Yeah. Share the same air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always funny how that, that happens. Uh, but yes, the family is doing well. I did try to cancel with you, though, um, out, of, out of respect for your health, but you valiantly decided to take on another battle. Uh, so we'll we'll try and keep it as brief as possible. The theme you have extracted for this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, we are still in the season of creation, and that sub-theme is gender and climate justice. Women and children are impacted more severely by climate change, which is true. Um, and then the theme is God united to humanity through Christ who redeems. And then you have a whole bunch of quotes here, one of them um, by Henry Nouwen, one of the main tasks of theology is to find words that do not divide, but unite, that do not create conflict, but unity, and that do not hurt, but heal. So we are going to give Jeremiah and Timothy a rest. <laughs> um, if you want to hear the thoughts, uh, listeners, if you want to hear the thoughts on that, I kind of put a full stop on that, on my thoughts of Paul and the toxicity in Christianity um, in last week's episode. So please, I'll link it in the podcast description as well. But I mean, you are listening to this as a podcast, so you can just go back and listen to last week's episode in the stream. Uh, so the gospel is Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. But I first want to ask you a little bit of humanity. We were just speaking of, of air about tattoos and like your your feelings and your thoughts around um, people defacing their bodies with ink. Um, I myself don't have tattoos yet. I have absolutely no problems. I do desire one, but I've never been able to settle on a design um, 
at a time when the budget was able to uh, facilitate the actual act. Um, so I will probably get one at some stage in my life. But like this whole idea of defacing your body, which is supposed to be the temple, speaks a lot to humanity. And my thoughts on humanity is always there's nothing that you can do that can diminish your humanity. There is no action you can take. There's no level of poverty that you can reach that diminishes your humanity if you are a Christian and you believe that all people are made in God's image. Therefore, all people are God-like, have God inside them. Um, I obviously do not believe that, but I mean, we are all the same. We're all made from the same dust. So our human experience, our actions can differ because of cultural differences, because of environmental differences, but that doesn't diminish our humanity at all. We are human because we were born of a mother. Um, where do you stand on, on, on the defacing of, of the human body? You know, I go back to my, thanks, Lindsay, for the question. I go back, <coughs> pardon me, to my youth. My dad, my mom's uh, brother, youngest brother, was a, a sailor uh, right up to the Antarctica. And he was on the whaling system. I mean, he was, sadly, he was, he was, a, he was an alcoholic, a very mm -hmm. bad self-image. But he was the sweetest of, of men. And I'm, I remembered him having a tattoo. Um, now, I, I really wouldn't choose the word deface. Because when I, as a youngster, looked at this, there was no critical bone in my body or in idea in my mind that this was wrong. I just marveled at the beauty of the artistry. Mm. Um, of course, um, I then had a, had a cousin who's also, he was in, he was a gang, gangster and, you know, um, at, at my age, he was much older than I am, you, you have in the narrative, uh, your, your younger, listening to your life story and tattoos are part of it. I mean, even a, 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 a fox chasing a rabbit into the back part of his um, anatomy. Mm -hmm. was was what he had done because he was in prison and of course then my brother um you know decided he was going to have now that tattoos that my cousin had and my brother had were were, were not artists these were only guys who wanted a mark on their body so and it's fascinating how the cross becomes a a symbol for people to put on their bodies and of course then yeah. my yeah. daughter my young this daughter decided she was also going to want to have, um, um, and then the eldest daughter, whom I never thought would do anything like that, would. So I, I went through, you know, all of those phases, and I must admit, um, when I sat with my daughters, particular, and I couldn't do this on my brother, my uncle, or my cousin, because the 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 story of their tattoo has already been laid on the canvas. My daughters spoke to me before they decided what to put on, where to put it on. And they thought I had, now yeah, I'm, I don't know, Lindsay, you're going to have to help me. I don't know whether my daughters, because I'm a priest, because I'm supposed to be a man of the gospel of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and the love of God, that I would have conservative ideas. 
Now, I'm, I struggle with the word conservatism um, because if conservatism is about legalism, then I definitely am not a, a, a conservative. I do believe that people journey with their own thoughts. They respond to what they observe and what they see yes. and what they hear. And my daughters are no different. And so they responded to the world that they were living in. So I just felt, let me, let me explore with them their journey and respect them. And, and that was where both my wife and I stood. Um, uh, eventually, the one who didn't have, didn't want to have, got five or even eight, I don't know. And the other one has got similar amount of what's his name. Now, that's why you would never hear me raising this kind of topic uh, as part of um, a proclamation of the gospel. Because I'm not sure it's defacing uh, our bodies because there may be many things that we do that deface, let's say, the inner person, yeah. that yeah. corrupts the inner person. And now I'm more worried about a little drawing on your arm. And that drawing now um, uh, is my conservative view of saying, oh, no, my children have stepped out of the faith following Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly don't believe that because I think the inner person is far more important. But I think I need to listen to where people are coming from. And in fact, even if there were a text in the Bible that said, Tattoos are a no-no. Well, I, I would have to again read in the whole message of the Bible. What's the meaning of that text? And why was it said? Why was it perhaps only said once? And in what context was it said? Why did other writers not, why were they not inspired to raise it? Uh, but I spoke of other things. I mean, if you, sorry, I have to do this. If you go back to, Je, to, 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 to Jeremiah, yeah. Are they talking about how sick the people are? Mm. What, what caused that sickness? Certainly not a tattoo, but, you know, probably a disobedience or wandering away from God. So I don't hold a view that says you shouldn't have. I respect what you're going to do. And maybe in talking to you and listening to you firstly and in talking to you, you will then decide, look, I'm not going to make it as explicit uh, all in my neck and wherever else. Uh, my cousin's my cousin's whole face was was marked out. Yeah. And this was not like good tattoo artists. This was <laughs> <laughs> this was sitting in the kring when they were doing whatever or in jail. So yeah, yeah. so um you know and then do I now the guy who's the artist, the guy who developed the machinery, is this am I robbing him of his economy if I say there shouldn't be no tattoo artists. Mm. So I don't have a definitive answer, but I do have an answer on the journey, if I can put it like that. Yeah. No, that's perfect. And I, I, I think that the relationship your daughters have with you, uh, um, where they were willing to, where they were open to the communication and they were running it by you and they were using you as a sounding board, um, to their personal choices. I think that is a relationship that should be deeply cherished. Um, I hope to one day have that kind of relationship with, with my children. Um, 
where they are free to, I mean, I tell my daughter all the time, it's like, I've been through a lot in my short life. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. not many things that she can come and tell me that I'll be shocked by. Like every behavior, every bad decision, there is a a way back, you know? And I I try and tell her that I love her enough to like not judge anything. You know, something might make me upset personally. I might no not, not upset, but disappointed. Um, but but that doesn't diminish any of the love that I have for her, and it doesn't diminish my desire to help, to assist her to get through whatever it is that she brings or to give input um impartially. Uh and then there was uh just to go back to like one Timothy two, you open the door. I'm just gonna say <laughs> verses one to seven. There's a line here. It starts with first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, requests, and thanksgivings be offered to God for all people, for kings and all others who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life with all reverence towards God and with proper conduct. And these types of lines always get my back up because. What is proper conduct? Who defines conduct? Like, what is acceptable behavior today? Like going to a confirmation, your confirmation. I know you had a confirmation, and I'm certain there was some kids who had sneakers on because sneakers have transitioned from um, to poor people's shoes <laughs> into mm-hmm. the realm of high fashion. Um, so who still like why are we trying to police like conduct um in today's world, you know? Look, I, I, I don't doubt for a moment that in me and in everybody there is destructive the possibility of destructive behavior mm. can can be vented depending on where I am in my in my person and what the context is that I'm in. Um, You know, we get angry for people who, way people drive on the road, for example. I I get, I don't know whether I'm disappointed or whether I'm angry when those who I serve, who serve me at the counters do not have a sense of acknowledging my humanity. When I actually acknowledge their humanity, I say hello to them and how you are. I don't know whether there's the principle of the business not to respond on that level. But hey, if you want me to come back as a good customer again to support you, yeah. your people skills should be in line. And I think South Africans have lost that along the way in my general um, experiences. And, and I do that because I hold myself to a high standard here. I sit in the office. And when somebody comes through the gate, even if that person is not coming to see me per se, mm-hmm. I get up, go out, and I greet the person, find out how they are doing, how their families are doing, and then say to them, so how can we help you? So I keep myself to a very, very high standard of hospitality, for example. Um, now, who judges behavior? I mean, there's laws that judge behavior. Our, our country says you can't drive 70 in a 60 zone. If yeah. the camera catches you, uh, right? So who determined the speed of 60 is the best on that part of the road? And here I am in a hurry, wanting to get somewhere else. And, um, and, and you know, I've had to come back to myself and say, you know, maybe 
God is so good that he's saying to me, if I, if I don't let you ride behind a slow driver at this juncture, you may just get into trouble. So just accept that that's where you are. You'll get to the meeting even if it's late. So those, that's the rhetoric that goes through me, you know. So, yes, there are laws. Now, this text particularly came up during our party time mm. as the church was struggling. How are we meant to address um, the notion that apartheid is a biblical concept? Yeah. And that it has a theology and that it can be propagated from a pulpit. And um, therefore, the, 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 the country is justified to draw up such kind of laws that would say, if you're not white, then you are limited even though you're born in your own, in this country, which you will name as your homeland. Uh, um, and so you are curbed. You can't live in a way of full humanity. Mm-hmm. So we were wrestling with this. And I remembered, um, I, I don't know if it was a form A prayer in Liturgy 75, um, where the prayer had something to do with this text where we have to pray for those in authority for kings and all others who are in authority now the question is how do we pray for them when the next line says that we may live that we may live a quiet and peaceful life with all reverence towards god and with proper conduct so when you look at apartheid and what it was doing to people then we were not living a quiet life yeah. or a peaceful life so then what does my prayer have to be filled with? Do I now, am I disobedient to Paul's writing to Timothy that I can say, Lord, bring down this government? You know, and, and this you're praying at the Eucharist form A. Yeah. <laughs> How are you meant to pray? So we struggle yeah. very deeply with that. And I think that we still struggle today with it because when you look at the shenanigans of our parliamentarians, perhaps even from the president downwards, then you are disappointed. So again, how are we meant to pray? So when I pray for Cyril, and there's things that are said about Cyril and and corruption and all that, I don't know enough about that narrative, but there is being promulgated in the the public ear and in the public ear. How am I meant to pray? Um, You know, I remember being at at Fishhook's Church in Margaret's. And we used to pray regularly, God bless Africa, God our children, guide our leaders, and give us peace. And there were some folk there who felt that prayer is now redundant. Why do we keep just praying for Africa? Hmm. Why don't we pray for everybody in the world? All lives well, matter. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 is an, it is a historical prayer related to a context. So, you know, you, you, you uh, put me on my place the other day for rewriting that prayer, and you would see I've included uh, continents, other continents, because I, I understand where both sides are coming from. So can my prayer be inclusive to honor both sides of the, of the, of the drive? But Africa is still a haunted country, a haunted uh, land or haunted, um, uh, a haunted people. Um, with with many things in its history that and here we can go back to the idea um, how 
do? How did Africa experience God being united to humanity through the workings of Jesus who brought about redemption? When Africa was colonialized, they were robbed of their, of their assets on the ground by powerful people who, when you oppose them, they killed you. Now, do we, do we just go humbly like sheep to the altar and say, Lord, um, I forgive my brother uh, for doing this to me? Or is there another prayer I must pray? When the, when the, when the consecration prayer of the, of the wine, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many so that sins may be forgiven. How are we meant to interpret that? Are there sins that should not be forgiven? You know, the, the venial sins that the Roman Catholics came up with. So, you know, whoever says they know exactly how to use these texts um, in, in prayers and in sermons without deep reflection and struggle and with questions are telling a lie. Because I don't think the Holy Spirit will let me get away with just uh, uh, sucking the cream off the cake. Uh, yeah. I believe that uh, the, that I need to do further, deeper prayerful investigation into the text and how it related to a context and to my context. So yes, I don't think that in any generation this these particular words Paul wrote to Timothy will ever be useless to reflect on. It will be of use to reflect on being questioned, being if this is what we are meant to do and the reason for our praying and thanksgiving is that we may live a quiet and peaceful life, but this does not happen to the population, then should our prayers change? But yeah, I mean, this calls into question again. And and, and I'm glad that you that you agree with, with my points I made last week of how toxic Paul Paul's teachings were um, to the idea of Christianity. And when you combine that with this Old Testament idea of you know, Egyptians and Persians bad, like non non European white people bad. Our God will freaking smite you, um, and look at how awesome our God was to deliver us from that. Where you have a clash of cultures, you had historical clashes of cultures where um, a a non a a culture or cultures that are less well respected in the historical text of our time that we've grown up with, that we've, that we've become accustomed to. Um, where these were cultures that rose out of seemingly nowhere with superior technology, superior weaponry, superior militaries, and just laid waste to whatever stood before them and built massive empires and then didn't raise the cities to the ground, you know? They were like, yo, how about we trade with you guys? We start, you know, intermingling the cultures. Um, you guys are quite good at like science or whatever. So we're going to take some of you, like Genghis Khan, um, uh, the, the, Mong the Mongol Empire, the Persian Empire, um, all empires that contributed so much more to globalization and to the upliftment of people on a massive empirical scale. And what do the Europeans do when they, in air quotes, take back their land? They decimated Carthage. Like all of the, the historical centers of power, Babylon, Carthage, 
do not exist anymore. You cannot find sufficient ruins left to show that these cultures existed because bitter Europeans came in and completely destroyed what they thought to be their conquerors, you know? And now where we've reached a point in history where the former, in air quotes again, oppressors are now kind of on an upward trajectory where we are finding equality. Now it's not good enough anymore. Now we get gatekept by all these Old Testament stories and the Paul writings and like these things get twisted to say, no, you stay in your place. And like that, that, that just boils my blood as you can hear. <laughs> yeah, um, look, I think that's the, that's the understanding of, of history, doesn't it? The guy or the woman who wants to come out on the top and everybody else then uh, suffers as a result and mm -hmm. only his name matters in the course of history um and um and so you know i said i'm not sure if i said it on this what's his name i'm very interested in the fact that you know now i realize later in my life how um how I had was forced to learn history by route, and I'm particularly saying history. Mm -hmm. And I had just had a disdain for the information that was given to me. And I don't know where I got that disdain from, whether I heard it, whether it is uh, uh, an inherent thing within my mind and in my heart, um, because I just got to hear the whole time who the years were. Hmm. Later on, I started saying, you guys forced us to study a history that probably was filled with so much lies. And then you had the audacity to ask us to pass it as well. Hmm. So now we make reference to those incidences we've read to our current life. Um, and, and what we find is that um, it, it holds no water because deeper research has shown now that some of the things we were forced to learn holds no substance. Mm. So this is a question that came up that no matter how powerful an empire was established, mm. it never lasted long. If what that empire did for the good. Let's go back to Timothy, hmm. where all of us could live peaceably. Would we have destroyed such a kind of rulership? Uh, or is it in the hearts of men and women to also want to climb the ladder of success and, re and reign that we can't see somebody sitting up there doing well, that we have to break them down and find devious means to do that? How do we, you know, and then in the midst of all of this, Jesus tells parables, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Hmm. In the midst of, of people longing for kingship and kingdom rule in our, in our current, um, in, in, in the world, in the human world, um, what, what then, 
what then are we to make of Jesus's opening statement according to Mark? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And are we therefore meant to look at whatever we are able to learn about the kingdom based on scripture and based on how it was interpreted by the early church fathers and mothers, that that is something we must hold on to. And, 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 and so we struggle as, as, as priests because Jesus taught us in the, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What does all of that mean mm. in, in my daily life? Because inevitably, I've got a boss who wants productivity. I've got a boss who earns uh, 10 times more than me. And when, when we argue about um, um, them giving us increases, uh, they come up with wonderful statements such as there's going to be increases of 1% across the board. Yeah. And then you sit back and say, so what does your 1% look like? And the guy who's sweeping, what does 1% mean to him? So, so, you know, now we're struggling to say if the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach is about fairness and justice, how then are, is, is pre pre preaching about that, is teaching about that year to have people think about what is a kind of a rule where people, as Timothy said, will live at peace? Uh, with one another what kind of kingdom rule do we have or or is it true that the kingdom must be within us and so we live the values of that kingdom in our daily lives and so we in our interaction change mindsets and hopefully change systems you know there's so many things that we even if we challenge this the the the, the status quo the status quo will look for ways of giving the impression of a fair system, mm. but they leave out very important details because they don't want to lose. And look, I think it's all about lifestyle. I, I must admit to you, I'm not so sure what the word lifestyle mean, means um, because Am I living right now the lifestyle that Trudy and I have chosen? Um, and is it making us happy? Mm. Uh, did I choose this because, you know, we earn only so much, so I can't have too many people visiting me to give them parties because then I'll be bankrupt. So there's got to be a sense of responsibility. Again, here, the question comes up about values. So where do I draw those values from? Um, and how does those, and here, here can come the complication, I think, of what you said earlier on. Um, um, values deal with behavior. Yeah. Now, now, who judges the value and the behavior that is generated from the, from the value? Mm. Um, will people say, oh, they're so selfish that Reverend and his wife, they never invite us for a cup of coffee. But maybe there's reasons why we can't do that all the time. Yeah. If you want to visit me, maybe you should bring your own cup of coffee and then I'll take up my own cup of coffee. I don't know, you know, <laughs> what, is, what is lifestyle and the values. But I can say, Trudy and I, when we got married, sat down and said, look, 
you will teach you and four times what I earn. Mm. Let us live on my stipend and save yours for the rainy days that may come. And rainy days came, but we were never without. Even right through our children's university education, we had want of nothing, but we weren't living an extravagant life. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I even said, I'm in my big mouth. I said to my wife, um, look, man, we're going to be married. Let's not have children for two years. Let us first get to know one another and build up some resources before we decide to have children. Plan worked well with the first one, but that one decided when he saw what was going on in the world, decided he was not going to hang around, he went back. So she lost that baby. Okay, yeah. We, we yeah. really went through a dip with our emotions and all of that. So then Tandi came. So two years, that was two years. Now we had Tandi, we enjoyed Tandi for two years. Of course, Caitlin came two years later. So hmm. now the question is, are we going to have more children? Or, and I don't want you to be on, on, on meds all your life. Yeah. I'd rather have something done for me. Was I selfish? Wasn't I selfish? Did I check out with her whether she wanted another child? You know, um, maybe she longed for a boy. In fact, she told me that. I don't, I don't, I don't always know how. So do, do you understand why there would be tension in marriages and tensions in family life? Because what I want is not maybe what you want. And do we communicate sufficiently about it? Or am I too afraid to tell you, my brother, what I really think? Because I'm afraid of what you may say. So the mm. communication, the communication stops. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bench. Uh, I'm being a sort of. A, um, I'm not so sure if it's for Barachet or what's his name. That was the the context that this guy was sitting with when he was about to lose his job. Yes, what was the way forward for him? So I'm going yeah. to stop there because you have. <laughs> Well, it's it's always fascinating to me um, how how closely our our, our life stories um, <laughs> resemble each other. Uh, where, like, obviously, you chose to wait to have children. Um, the plan was for us never to have children, um, and then the plan changed uh, within the first year of marriage. Um, but like, we had I had made the decision to not jump into the relationship like phases too quickly so i mean monique and i had like five years uh, of courtship before we got married so like we had figured each other out quite a bit or at least i had figured her out quite a bit i don't know if she figured me out as much she's playing her cards close to a chest <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i'm just such an enigma um and then then we had the first child and then the second child was four years later. I mean, that was a, a mutual decision that we made. And then when we changed our minds, it was too late. Um, and then again, I was very quick to, or at least not very quick. I was always willing to to have the vasectomy uh, because, again, I, I don't believe that I should expect my wife to go through major abdominal surgery to... <laughs> You know, make herself infertile, um, where I can just go in for an afternoon um, and go about my way, go about my life with like maybe two days of mild discomfort. Um, 
so I had the vasectomy and and it's been one of the one of the greatest decisions that I've made, I think. Um, because and again, we we discussed it. We we always decided to be on the same page because communication is is key. And then you alluded to the gospel, which I said was according to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. So Jesus gives the parable of this rich man who has a manager, and then this manager starts being accused of squandering the rich man's property. And then upon being summoned to give give his own account, he then goes to everybody and he's like starts reducing their debts just to get some of the stuff back. And then the rich man goes and he's like, and his master commended his dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So interesting little ending, like the final line, I think kind of in my mind cheats what the, the message was. Um, it, it could have gone without the you can't ser- you cannot serve God and wealth, uh, because it's that idea of, especially if you're in a partnership like a marriage, you can't you are a union, um, according to the law, and you are navigating a life together and whatever life you build up for yourself. So you can't have each partner kind of pulling in a different direction because you're going to have kind of animosity coming from the other because yeah you, the communication isn't there uh, at least that that's that's what what i see the the point of this parable if you remove like the the wealth and the god faithfulness it is one of the most difficult parables <laughs> to even read and preach on because you may have people in the parish who have established their lives, given themselves a period to work towards where they, uh, you know, have enough resources for the future. Yeah. Which is inclusive of uh, their family's uh, well-being. I remembered when I was in one parish, the a business owner, uh, he was a construction man, uh, said that at some point when he went into business he said i'd like at this stage of my life to have a million rand in my bank account mm-hmm. um yet when you look at that guy's life um when you looked at um his family and his children what you encountered was humility mm-hmm. prayerfulness um generosity uh he never you know exalted himself near his wife was always aware of this and kept them level-minded uh, and and all the children has got that same beautiful attitude 
mm. which I'm sure they are passing on to the next generation that are growing up in there. So um, can you have wealth without serving it? Mm. Uh, maybe a question we need to ask. Um, is there many examples in the world where people serve wealth? Now, the best place to go and look for all of this is in America, where this debate is huge. Because, uh, and I mean, it's coming here to our country because lots of these, uh, some of these churches that get support from the religious right have advocated that. In Africa, you've, you've got prophets who claim to be prophets and all of it is about money. Yeah. Um, and every... Every prayer that they they want you to pray for, they want to pray for you. You first have to drop the dollar before that prayer is even made. Yes. So, um, so the question is, have they now said God and wealth are the same? Have they theologized that text to to mean God doesn't want you to be poor, um, and so uh, we are teaching you the lifestyle? of wealth because this is God's idea for every human being. Hmm. Um, then what do we do with a text like Jesus said, the poor will always be with you? What does that then, how does how is that meant to be interpreted? Um, it is very interesting that these same, um, what we call them prosperity gospelists, hmm. some of them are now being bold enough to say that they taught the people wrong about tithing. Well, if you enjoy the life of wealth simply because you taught from a biblical perspective, inverted commas, because you, you know, you taught that the Bible was inerrant and therefore what you taught should stand, suddenly now you're saying what we taught is wrong. How am I going to believe you today when you're saying this, but you've accumulated all this wealth and I was hankering after that because you taught me that. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem, of course, is the very people who are taught that don't really consult the Bible as well, I would venture to say, so that they can read the text for themselves and do research and not just listen to what the pastor is saying. I think um, St. George's and St. Mark's and St. Monica's members would be the poorer if they only listened to me and what I preached. I yeah. think I, I'm looking for a healthy congregation spiritually who can say to me, yes, we agree, but there we don't agree. It's mm. how we want to grow together. You, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, so now, does Jesus dismiss the behavior of people in the world? Um, there is no doubt with globalization, part of globalization is about wealth accumulation. Because globalization means you share your resources with me. Um, I may not have those resources, but I have skills and machinery to develop them. Yeah. However, what comes back to the person out of whose ground those resources come? They never get rich. I mean, I can't remember the word that is being mooted now, but it's a serious situation in Johannes and Gauteng. These people who are going into the mines. Oh, the Zamazamas. The Zamazama. That is a critical situation in our country. Yes. Those people are not we are wealthy, but somehow they're going to risk their lives because poverty has gotten so bad amongst us. And they die down there. 
They don't have the proper equipment often enough. Um, and what is the what is the social compassionate um, strategy that the local government needs to have, and that our national government needs to have, because that plays itself off like at Amanas, for example. Mm. Uh, the fishing industry, the same thing happens. Who are those that become wealthy out of the fishing industry? Are those who advocate for laws to protect their income, but the local people suffer? Yeah. And now they have to strategize uh, to, to, to survive. And you and I stand on the sideline and we say, what are we meant to say? Is a law, any law written, where one is benefited and the other is not a moral law? Should we not look at the morality of the law? Um, paybacks are given to po politicians and all of that kind of stuff. So what does this man do who can, who can dive and take out the pearly? It's his livelihood. Yeah. But there's also a form of corruption there, form of slavery, because Gangsters buy into that. Mm. The Chinese are corrupting us, thinking that this is right, um, sexually healthy for them. Well, now you've got a market. So when we read this text, what are we meant to say about behavior, mm. uh, choices, law, morality? And should there not be a desire of all of us that there must be fair distribution of the resources of the earth. Yeah. It is not the poor that has raped the world's lands and seas. It is those that have accumulated so much wealth, they want more because it brings them power. And sadly, we don't know who they are. Mm. It's interesting you bring up the Zamazamas because I find myself at the conflict uh, because uh, there's been some amazing reporting. Um, I'll actually link to a Twitter thread uh, in the podcast description um, where some journalists have actually uncovered like how deep those things go. And it's connected to those rapes um, that happened um, up in, in Kimberley. And there's like the crime syndicate that has been built up around this concept of Zama Zamas and the, just the ammunition that they're working with as well and how they can intimidate um, the mine security and the police and like they they have built themselves up to a an insurmountable force right now um, and it's a problem that has been brewing for a very very long time and it goes back to that idea of colonialism where you get one conqueror that comes in claims ownership stakes ownership of an entire country and its peoples and all of its resources to then just strip those resources, refine it into something that they want, and then sell it back to, to the world without fairly compensating um, those people who they stole it from. Um, and it's so on that side, I'm like, you know what? Good for them for like sticking it to the man. But then you look at the criminal aspect of it because it's been allowed to flourish um, in the dark, um, I, I use dark very loosely there, uh, it's now become a destructive industry, a morally, 
morally destructive industry where it's affecting the very people that these modern day Robin Hoods are claiming to be helping. And they are, I mean, this, this, is, this is now the problem where you have people who aren't accustomed to wealth because it has never been shared, who have a distorted view of how to manage wealth. And it just comes to them as freedom to do whatever they want because everything has a price. Every person, everything that is alive, that is affected by the system that is called capitalism has a price. So and, is, is, yeah? sorry. So no? is this then a pursuit for wealth or is it a pursuit out of desperation to survive? It started as desperation, but then because it became easy and the money started flowing, then it, it corrupted because ultimate power corrupts ultimately. So then what would one say out of that you cannot serve God and wealth? What does the idea of God do? What does the person of God do that would make us believe that if we truly followed him as he's represented by Jesus, then the world would become a fairer place. However, the colonialist came with Jesus and the Bible. Mm. And mm. those on the ground would say they stole our land, but they gave us the Bible. So who's wealthier, the one who took the Bible or the one who stole the land? Inevitably, uh, we all need the land. There yeah. has to be fair distribution, but yeah. the systems of colonialism obviously doesn't account for that. And what what is the principles of the philosophy of wealth that these two, God and wealth, are in conflict with? If the world is governed by wealth as it is, well, one of the aspects of growing wealth is war. If you're continuously making weapons, and your storehouses are now full and overflowing, at some point you have to use those weapons. So there has been a sense, let's create war somewhere. So, and then of course the price of weapons go up and um, people die as a result of this. So what are the principles that God uh, endeavors to give us through his son Jesus uh, so that we can live on this earth and what is it that wealth does? What's the, 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 what is the philosophy of wealth that people hanker of it, uh, for it? And when achieved in some, some level, I don't know if there's phases of life, there probably is. Today I'm a millionaire, tomorrow I'm a billionaire, and then is it a trillionaire and then a zillionaire? I don't, I don't know how these things work. Um, to get to where Mr. Musk is at the moment, mm. uh, you know, what did Mr. Musk do to get to the position that he is in? I was quite interested when the idea of him purchasing Twitter for forty-four hmm. billion. Yeah. One of the uh, comedians on the internet was saying, "If you divide that up into the seven billion people on this planet, each of us would probably be able to walk away with at least five million uh, per person." If I got mm. my mathematics correct. So, so again, yeah, 
I don't know whether this uh, this manager was after wealth or whether he was working in such a way that when he's out of the job, others may say, hey, he works liquor, I'll employ him because he's got a strategy. He, because look, that's what you're looking for in managers. Why did they let, why did they place this guy in charge of, of, of ESCOM? Because mm-hmm. managers have to be shrewd with their business. They have to be shrewd in the strategies they form. Now, can you blame them because the whole nation, 55 million plus, are dependent on that? Yeah. Not just for ordinary life, but also for work. Uh, you know, when you're, last night it was like, here I'm watching, and then 12 o'clock it's, and boom, I hear click. And I said, is it load shedding? And it came as a, pri- a surprise and a shock to me because I wasn't expecting load shedding in yeah. on a Friday night. It, it hardly have, ever happens. So, yeah, we, we do have that tension, God and wealth. And what are the principles of both? And are they two um, philosophies, two aspects, um, the person of God in Jesus Christ and wealth, what, however it's presented, probably more in the phase of money and, and accumulation of earthly stuff, mm. that there's a tension between the two that Jesus is saying, you know, at one stage he said, and here I don't know if this relates, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. Hmm. What was he? What was the protagonism coming out of that in addressing this whole issue of God and wealth? But you look at, at, at this bit of philosophy where the manager starts calling up all the debts and then starts reducing it just in a in a mad grab to get the the resources back so that he doesn't get fired you know um and and his shrewdness in there if if you if you adapt that and and uh, if you will allow me license to to the idea of like the zamazamas now where there's been a number of stories that are linked to to the the corruption within this whole um underground movement uh, or at least crime syndicate um, where it's like links to the government and like there's a whole, it's a nasty situation that um, Cyril really needs to to speak into uh, when he comes back from from the US. So would what, what would what would Jesus philosophize, or at least if he had interface now with with the leaders of the Zamazamas, would he say that they should share the uh, the wealth that they have now gained and then use their power? to seize more of the assets to redistribute to the people. So, yeah, yeah. so then, a, yeah, go on, go on. So then my question is this idea of, of serving God and serving wealth. If you introduce a third thing of like serving people, is that still in conflict with serving a God in your mind? Very, very interesting question. Um, you know, inevitably, the systems are made up like this, that we always know that there's a manager of us above us. Mm. And so I'm employed to do a particular kind of work. If I'm, if I'm doing my job well, I'm doing my job not because I'm a servant 
in that sense. I'm doing my my I'm doing this work because I am improving my sense of integrity. I look broader, not just to the boss and to the what's his name, even though they may be getting more wealthy than I'm. I'm looking at at having um, them having a wider aspect that what I'm doing could possibly be channeled to benefit others who are struggling. You know what I <laughs> did with my text, and I hope there's nobody from SARS listening here. <laughs> but often I would up the percentage of, of 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 how much kilos I drove for for home life over against work. I'd up the home life one that I'm using more petrol, I'm driving more simply because I had the poorest of the poor on my mind. Mm. Now, that was my value that I was wanting to address. How it's channeled is out of my hands. Now, does it mean, therefore, that the only power I have every five years is to vote out people who are causing corruption? Or do I protest and ask for impeachment? How long are these processes going to take? And there's no guarantee that anybody would come in there. They would probably say, I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl. But you know, when you're in a position of responsibility, power becomes the better of you, and therefore you lose sense of yourself. You, you're busy selling your soul to the devil, if I can put it in that kind of hard language. <laughs> so with what kind of mindset um, does these gangs now, having seen these guys, because how many of those in the leadership of those gangs ever go down to risk their lives? Yeah. And did they use some means of force and violence to control these guys? Did they work out a percentage that says, man, we are protecting you, their philosophy, so out of the deal that you just got now, we get 60% and you get 40%, okay? So then what happens to, does that man who is fighting survival say, okay, I'll take the 40%, my family is good enough to survive. And what then does the 60%, what goes down that line? So I think Jesus should have a word with them and say, okay, let's create a system. You are doing Robin Wood's job. Let's see how we can broaden the uh, benefit base. Mm. Um, there are needy people, children without schooling, children without daily food, people who are, how can we build up a resource that says, government's not doing it, let us then do it. Mm. That would be the kind of thing I, I think Jesus would speak to them. Because look, the authorities did not take him to. Yeah. So him as their antagonist um, uh, with his principles and his way. And then he allows them to crucify him um, for what he believes in. John the, John the Baptist's head went when he stood up against the immorality of the king and his, um, the wife that he had. So um, interesting, the question always comes up in theology. You had a Pontius Pilate, but how much of Pontius Pilate have we heard over against Jesus? Mm. You had a Herod who interrogated Jesus. How much of what Herod said and taught and was um, is ever mentioned in history? 
for the benefit of later nations. Yet Jesus is being spoken about even till today. Um, so people go along that line as well. Now, then of course you have this middle road. Now, whilst we speak to those gangsters, the Zamazama people, labeled, labeled gangsters, you have church leaders who are stealing from their flock. Yeah. And as soon as you say, but what you're doing is not according to the gospel of Jesus, then, of course, everybody that says that is a demon. Mm-hmm. I was working in Fishhook at the time, and we were in a fraternal, uh, evangelical, charismatic, um, middle-of-the-road and conservative uh, high church. And one conversation of probably, yeah, I get into trouble always because people said to me there, you always asking the difficult questions that we never even considered because that mountain there, the world starts for us and ends for us. So they don't talk about what's going on beyond that mountain. I dare to talk about it. And they said to me, um, this one guy said to me, he was at a conference in Johannesburg Mm. and they were having a, a lunch break and he forgot his money in his Bible. So he went in and to the certain place, then he heard people speaking on the stage and he hid himself. And one of those guys was Kenneth Copeland, the one that so outspoken voice of the evangelicals in America. And whoever he was speaking to, the two of them said, look, when we get back now, I'm going to ask the question, Who's going to be giving me a 10,000 rand? Then you stand up with your 10,000 rand check and you said you will, because that's the ploy now. If one pastor is willing to give another pastor, the ploy is that everybody else in that in that conference would say, yes, we're going to give this. And that's when which turned him away. Then he realizes this is not where he should be. And he broke away from that kind of, of concept. Um, there is no doubt that money is needed. I mean, our diocese is in a debt of five million from its parishes, 49 parishes, and there are about um, close to 80% of the congregations have, have got debt with the diocese. Yet we continue to function, the clergy continue to get paid. So, so, also, you're getting our utilities for the home and also for the for our um, stipends and travel. Mm. But the the, the 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 those that are worldwide that have come in and are now clerics um, would often say to us, "If you were a business, if we were a business right now, the dice is a false play. We would be considered bankrupt." Mm. So what is it that continues to keep us going? We continue to talk about the need for that 5,000, 5 million to come in from the various parish and also helping each other. Um, and there are various ideas, you know. Some are saying, man, that's virtual debt. Just write it off. Because right now we are still functioning in current time. The debt you're talking about is past. Do we still need to hold on to it? That's some of the uh, vernacular out there trying to address this horrific uh, sword over our heads called five million uh, debt. So 
we still need money but but what is the what is it that makes us want to what what draws us to become wealthy and is it wrong if i'm a christian to seek to have wealth because i have the responsibility of my family things are becoming expensive i studied for a good job i'm working in that job and i am giving to the kitchen uh, the soup kitchen and i'm giving to this and that so is it wrong for me to also be ensuring that my future is has got some and does it mean that if i'm doing that i'm not trusting god or is it as a result of my doing that and i'm trusting god with my future so so this is a dangerous text to preach on because i can there is wealth in the church but it's beyond my money there was a pope that asked the bishop of rome to ensure that he gives all the wealth in the church to the um soldiers because they needed money for war so the chalices that would go and the, and, and and all of the the precious stones and all of that so what did this bishop do this bishop took all the poor people to the pope and said this or to the king sorry this is the wealth of the church so mm. if you value people if you truly value people people will see how they can support the mission if they believe uh, in that mission that we are advocating as church but it's not for us to say i need 10000 rand from somebody in this congregation this morning uh, or if 10 people can do that to me then am i truly speaking the gospel no i'm worshiping wealth hmm very 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 interesting words on a dangerous text and i think that is a good place to leave this conversation because there's a lot of food for thought um i'm going on there where i say respect the hustle um i'm myself have <laughs> dealt in in less than i wouldn't say illegal but i'm saying less than morally ethical all kind of business things but that's how, how how you 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 make it and if you have wealth you have the opportunity to share that wealth and to improve the environment around you being people the nature you know conservation all that stuff uh, you have the ability to put up walls around the property and maybe propagate your own garden whatever like all those opportunities only come from having the cash flow having the finances to do that um so yeah make your paper <laughs> lenzi can i just say in conclusion i was always yeah. wondered um people who are managers and ceos and presidents of companies uh, who enjoy luxurious um vacations with their family that you know they spend huge amount of wealth on what they see as luxury vacations and i always wondered if i, I won the lotto because i never grew up with money mm. so if i won the lotto by chance would i be so fascinated by what i won and forget the principle i had grown to think about when i didn't have that money and that was if i had money would i then say to five families 
I want 10 million. I'm giving you 500,000. But I want you to go on a holiday because you've never had a proper one. Mm. Can I dictate that to the family? Well, I was quite interested that one day I was on the internet and there was a story of a CEO who actually sat still and thought about the people that were working for him. Mm. And he said, you know, these people give their best to me. Mm. Maybe I'm not even giving them what they really were. But I'm going to, instead of going on the holiday myself, I'll go on holiday, but not as expensive as I normally would. And I would give it to my workers so that they can enjoy mm. uh, a good holiday together. Now, obviously, the majority of people looked to this man and saluted him because this was out of the ordinary. Yeah. But now, you see, the people in his positions or CEOs or presidents of company, they felt this as a real strong backlash against their greediness. And they ridiculed this man for taking this position. Mm. And I thought here was somebody, you can't do it every time, but if you at least did it once, that shows you the measure of a person. Yeah. In relation to his fellow human being. And that was a classical story for me. Thanks for allowing me to share it, Limousine. Thank you. I, I believe that that is the best thing to do because um, although the money might be able to feed people for a little bit, the enrichment of experiencing a situation that is not the one you live in every day is of so much value to the human experience. And, and I speak this from a position of privilege. We have traveled the world. I mean, I lived a five-star lifestyle not too long ago um, in the... <laughs> in the UAE uh, where I was really treated to, to the best things in life. But just taking away the experience, adding that experience of other cultures, of seeing, making time to see the world from another person's perspective within the environment, importantly, within the environment, is so enriching. Um, and it, it will feed into so many more aspects of your life. Uh, that, that that I believe in. But that is me flaunting my privilege all over a <laughs> religious podcast, or at least a spiritual podcast um, hosted by an agnostic. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, the selected texts are in the podcast description along with the prayers. And yeah, please uh, share this with your friends. Um, there's been a healthy little community building up around this small. Um, we would like to grow it, um, have some more like-minded people, or at least open-minded people. Um, giving some feedback and 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 just sharing uh, their own personal stories or being emboldened by by the discussions that we have here. Thank you very much, Father.